Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. This is Rich Valdez. We're here in New York City, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And man, some parts of the city are like a ghost town. Other parts are business as usual. It's definitely a weird feeling. I see a bus driver wearing a mask. I had not seen that before. There's actually seats that are taped off saying, for the sake of social distancing, don't sit in these seats on the bus. Last time I spoke with you, we had a mandatory ban of no more than 50 people in gatherings. Now it's down to 10 plus Britain's baddest broad, Katie Hopkins, beats the travel ban, arriving in the United States literally just hours before the travel ban. And we're going to have her up on the program in a little bit. But we are still celebrating President Lincoln's birthday with the Queens Village GOP. We're going to be talking about that with Katie Hopkins as well. And I got to tell you, every mayor, every governor should take this time to go and have their testosterone levels checked to make sure that they're man enough to handle what's going on. In the last 24 hours, I've seen the mayor and the governor here in New York literally become unhinged to the point where, kind of like in The Godfather, where he smacks him and he says, be a man, be a man. I think that's what just happened because we went from Governor Andrew Cuomo yesterday literally whining, borderline crying, to changing his tune. And my thought was, you know, he was taking all these unnecessary shots at the president because perhaps he was trying to ramp up his run for president and using this coronavirus epidemic as a platform to do that. I know, it's disgraceful. But it seems that President Trump has once again come out with his team sending a unifying message Again, reinforcing that the recovery here lies in the hands of the private sector working with our government. This is a government for the people, by the people, not government for the sake of government. President Trump is committed to saving the lives of Americans, period. Listen to this. This is going to be, we are, we are looking to save the maximum number of lives. Everything else is going to come back. A life is never going to come back. But everything else, our economy is going to come roaring back. And he's 100% right. Saving the most amount of lives is what's paramount right now. And like I said, in that Godfather moment, we went from frantic Andrew Cuomo to this Andrew Cuomo, saying that President Trump team has been on it. Listen to this. I think the president was 100% sincere in saying that he wanted to work together uh, in partnership in a spirit of cooperation. He has taken evidence that 
Uh, his team has been on it. I know a team when they're on it, and I know a team when they're not on it. His team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning. It's good to have partnership and cooperation from the states, and likewise for the cities. Mayor Bill de Blasio doesn't get a pass on this either. From we're not going to close the schools, we're not going to close the schools, we're not going to close the schools, to we're closing the schools. And for those of you that were listening live on Talk Radio 77 WABC here in New York City, I was on both Saturday and Sunday, and things changed so rapidly because at least Governor Cuomo did realize we're probably going to have to shut down all the schools. Meanwhile, his colleague in the city of New York was saying, no, we're not going to close down the schools only to succumb to the pressure and the coup formed by parents and staffers and say, you know what, okay, we're going to close down the school. And very reluctantly so. That's not the leadership that New York City deserves. They would all benefit from taking a page from Donald Trump's leadership style. Instead of being so overly critical and looking at the massive moves that he's making with the private sector, leveraging private labs in addition to what the federal government can bring to the table, supporting states' rights so that states can also do what they've got to do with the support of the federal government. Not to mention everything that he's doing with Secretary Mnuchin, whether you're critical of it or not critical of it, a lot of these steps are so necessary right now to protect the American economy. And Donald Trump is doing it. I'd say we're days, perhaps a week away from seeing emergency funds coming through so that small business owners get and receive the relief that's so badly needed so that service workers who are in the restaurants that have been shut down by this crisis can continue to live and support their families. That doesn't come from complaining. I think I've said it on this show before and I'm going to say it again. Imagine if when George Washington heard from Paul Revere that the Redcoats were coming, that he started freaking out like Andrew Cuomo has been, that he started getting frantic like Mayor Bill de Blasio. Oh boy, the Redcoats are coming. What should I do? What should I do? Tell me, what do we do? Imagine that. Imagine General George Washington. Instead of the beacon of strength that we all picture him as, that we've seen him as, as he's in the Delaware River, standing up in that boat, leading the charge. Imagine if he sounded like the state of New York's governor, Cuomo, and the city of New York's mayor, Bill de Blasio. I'm glad they've changed their tune and that they're starting to support their president and support their country. Keep it locked right here because we've got Katie Hopkins coming up and more on this coronavirus, excuse me, and more on this coronavirus. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500, or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at woodhousebuickgmc.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. Virus crisis. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. This is Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden here in New York City. And as promised in the earlier segment, I told you that we would have the UK's own straight from across the pond, Katie Hopkins. 
Katie, welcome to This is America. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me on the show. A little background. You um, are causing all sorts of havoc in the UK. Good for you. You were on this freedom tour here in the United States and you needed to make it in before the travel ban kicked in because you were coming in from the UK and you did under the cover of night. You made that last flight out <laughs> into Pittsburgh, into the United States. You could make it to New York City. Tell us how that was, Katie. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yes, you're right about me, uh, Katie Hopkins. I'm kind of known as the female Farage or the British Trump or the uh, British Ann Coulter. I don't know. I get called a million and one names. Oh, and I've I heard some known, of those names, and we're going to get to those after this. Yeah, I am known for causing trouble and telling it pretty straight. But, yes, I had booked and was booked on a speaking tour here in the U.S., starting in Pittsburgh, headed up to New York after. And so I carried straight on, got the last flight out from the UK. So I think at this present moment, I am one of the last Brits standing now that I'm back in New York, but in Pittsburgh, um, a great event for grassroots women for Trump. 150 brave souls made it out to that event, um, despite all of the doomsaying going on. And you know what was lovely about the event? Um, not only the great patriots get together in Pennsylvania, but most importantly, an elderly lady in the room said to me, look, three hours ago, I wasn't going to come. I have come and I'm really glad I came out. And I think that's a really nice thing. And it's something we're missing right now is that feeling that we get when we are together. What was your flight like? I know that there was some video of folks uh, doing a mad dash out of Ireland, a mad dash out of the UK because President Trump had added those to the travel ban for the rest of Europe. And of course, China and other places were already on that list of banned countries. What was it like uh, coming out from the UK? Yeah, a kind of a strange situation, as many people are experiencing around the city right now. But of course, um, completely empty. So British Airways flies out of this terminal, Terminal 5. Uh, it's completely British Airways, and it's always completely rammed with people. I was the only person effectively there in Pittsburgh, flying out of Pittsburgh back to New York. I can't tell you, I, I was one of a handful of people in that whole airport. I could travel from, you know, area to area of the airport and see no one. It was it was really, really difficult for you to get your head around that you're the only person at an airport. And I think, um, you know, this perpetuation of the fear, as well as a travel ban, but the fear for people means that so many people who were booked on flights actually decided to stay at home. And I was one of the only, I think there was three of us on my flight from Pittsburgh to New York. Now, so speaking of that, now I'm in New York City. I'm here every single day. And I've seen a real downturn in productivity around the way. Lots of places are closed. There's fewer people on the streets. Over the weekend, it did look like what you just described. New York City looked like a ghost town over the weekend. Thankfully, it's not as uh, slow today and yesterday. Uh, but I suspect it will become slower. But what's your experience been like now that you're back in the city? Yeah, and you know, and I'm literally just back in the door. I've been out walking, walking, walking. I did eight miles this morning around Central Park with some of the British Airway crew. I've been emailing out saying, listen, here's my email address. I'm in the city. If anyone needs anything, give me an email. And actually the crew uh, got in touch, said they were going walking. Would I like to come? So I always find that in adversity, um, there are real opportunities to keep trying to, you know, do the right thing, keep our family of great Republicans together and supporters. And so I'm out and about doing that. I think two big things really stand out for me. And number one, so many people have got their heads down still. So they're walking around. They're scared to be near other people. Fair enough. They've still got their heads either in their phones or they've got these 
silly earphones on and they're talking to people as they're going along and they're talking very loudly and it's always the doomsday stuff. I just had a guy in the queue, Duane Reed, talking very loudly about the deaths in Italy, a lady on a bus this morning. Mm -hmm. um, there was an, actually an argument on the bus because the woman was talking very loudly about the deaths and the lady said, do you mind? We're all on this bus together. And I think it is something, actually, if people want to be uh, dramatic about what's going on, that's fine. But it would be great if they were a little more aware that people around them might not want to hear all of that when they're out and about. And I think the second thing is, of course, new, normally in New York, there's a thousand places to land every time you want to have a little stop for a drink or some food or a little sit down. There's nowhere for anyone to stop because everything's closed. And so there's this sort of perpetual motion of very sad looking people. So, you know, trying to stay upbeat, trying to stay positive. And, and me on social media, I have a million followers. It's about getting on there and reminding people just to have a little bit of perspective and not to be filled with the fear, because I think it's a real worry for people who are quite anxious. And of course, these are anxious times. No question. It's definitely an anxious time. It's a scary time for a lot of people. And that being said, what are your plans for getting out of here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I'm always on the road. You know, I um, kind of, as I see my job in the world, it's to go and tell the truth, not being told. So I spend most of my year on the road somewhere. I'm an eternal gypsy. I'm usually mm -hmm. in a migrant camp or a no-go zone. I was supposed to fly from New York straight to Malmo, no-go Malmo, the <laughs> most dangerous part of Sweden. So I'm not too worried about myself when I get back. You know, I know I'll get back one day whenever one day comes. I really not, uh, I don't get anxious about these sorts of things. I'm much more interested in being where the story is. And in many ways, New York is a story in itself right now. The efforts being made to help people, this talk of maybe a thousand pound check being paid out to people who work in the service industry, waiters and drivers, which would be fantastic. Um, and trying to keep people you know, trying to keep this economy afloat, trying to keep the restaurants afloat so that when this is over, we have something to go back to. And, and you know, that feels very purposeful at the moment. Um, and so wherever I am, I don't mind. I do have a family. I do have a home. I do have children. Um, but I am very much uh, my focus, and it remains my focus, is Trump, uh, the re-election of Trump in November, if that's when the elections are. And, uh, and that will just always keep me going. I have like an internal dynamo that says we have to keep at this right until we cross the finish line so but yeah i'll get home one day yeah uh, and i i know that because i know uh, i don't know if it was last month or the month before you joined some really good friends of mine in san diego for the lexit rally oh. the latino exit and they had nothing but great things to say about you and they're uh, there believe it or not there are people that don't have nice things to say about you and um we're gonna get to that but <laughs> part of your stay in new york is going to include uh, an event that you and I were going to be doing together with Steve Bannon. And that event has since been uh, moved over to a digital event where we're going to be celebrating the life and times of America's first Republican president, Abraham Lincoln. So give our listeners a little bit of a um, preview, if you will, of what your remarks are going to be to America's oldest Republican club, the Queens Village Republican Club, at the upcoming Lincoln Day digital dinner on March 22nd. 
Yes, so, you know, an exciting event, the Digital Dinner, uh, which, as you say rightly, was going to be a dinner at the oldest Republican club, but it's now going to be a digital dinner. And I think um, what very much what we want to do is make everybody part of the conversation still. And in many ways, you know, what better time to bring people together, even if that's online, to remind each other that, you know, we're not alone, you do belong, And as part of the Republican family, you know, we are all part of something much bigger than just our own families or our own networks. And, you know, I spend a lot of time with people who have been ousted by their families because they support Trump. I've had people, you know, they confide that they've been asked to find another church or change synagogues, you know, people whose daughter-in-law or their son no longer speaks to them. And I think one of the lovely things about these events and a message I'm always very uh, clear about is that you do belong to something much stronger. And coming as I do from the UK, You know, there's a huge number of patriots, the people who voted for Brexit, the people who voted for Boris. You know, my message to Americans, to 64 million Americans, is thank you, uh, because because of you, we have hope and we look to America for hope. And because of Trump, you know, you are part of what kept us going through Brexit and the struggle for Brexit. So big messages, big themes, but certainly about not being lonely, about belonging to something much bigger. And actually the fact that this Republican family extends well beyond the the shores of, of America, no matter how huge your country is. And it extends into Italy, into the UK and to other places where you have so much support. Um, so those are some of the big themes that we'll be talking about at the digital uh, dinner, but that we would have been talking about in person on the 22nd. Yeah, and I I can't wait to hear more about it because uh, as, you know, for those of you who don't know, the venue was ordered closed by New York State because all venues have been ordered closed that are restaurants and whatnot. Um, Anything that can house more than 10 people has been ordered to shut down and only provide takeout or drive-through service. So we're going to be getting together on a huge digital video conference call to have this dinner, uh, irrespective of what's going on, in true American spirit of sticking to what's going on. And just like Katie said, while she's not an American, she's she's a Brit, there are so many Brits out there. It reminds me of um, being in the green room at CPAC not too long ago with uh, Nigel Farage. And I thanked him for everything he did with Brexit. And he just smiled and looked at me like, you know, we thank you. And it was just really interesting to see the the symbiotic relationship that we have with uh, our brethren across the pond. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many parallels, you know, just like here you have New York and and, uh, California and certain mayors and governors that appear to speak for Americans. You know, we have um, the the problem of London and our little Muslim mayor, Sadiq Khan, who uh, acts as if he speaks for Britain. And of course, the truth is very different to that. Uh, Regular Brits, great Brits, Brits like the Brexiteers I know and love, Sadiq Khan in London does not speak for us. I come from somewhere, a great little place called the rest of the UK. And I can tell you there are many, many people who love Trump, love Americans in the rest of the UK. And, And just like here, 
you know, in the regular Rust Belt, blue collar America, they know that what they're about, you know, and it's why I spend so much time on the sidewalks or wherever I spend it um, is because real people are where the truth of our countries lie. And, and that's why it's such a powerful thing to be part of this movement, because real people know what they think and what they believe. And I, I believe, just as in the British election on the 12th of December 2019, people that had voted Labour, so therefore Democrats all their lives, you know, their grandfathers, grandfathers voted Labour, Democrat, they came out and they voted Boris Johnson, not because of politics, but because it was the best thing for the country. It was the right thing for the country. And I, I can feel America is moving that way. Americans are going to vote for what is right for the country, irrespective of politics. And that's really exciting. And I think that's the most important message, and you've definitely hit the nail on the head. Again, contrary to having the right message and doing the right thing and supporting what's right for not only for all Brits and for the UK and for us here in America for our country, there are people that say that you're a racist, that you're a xenophobe, that you say these evil things about people who don't agree with you that come from different backgrounds. What do you say to them? And I, I'm called dreadful names. I mean, one quick search of Katie Hopkins on Google and you'll find out that I'm a monster, um, a xenophobe, an Islamophobe, a racist, a bigot, a fattist, a sexist. I mean, any ist there is. I'm sure that's what I've been called. But I think a couple of things. One thing is I do put myself out there. I've been out there for a long time, 15 years or so in the media. I came from the military into mainstream media and now I've been ousted to the sidelines of life. But um, my kind of big thing is that I'm not asking anybody to agree with me and I'm not asking anybody to like me. So neither of those two things has ever been anything I've been looking for. Um, and the second thing is, I guess, because I don't conform to what is approved thinking, um, and in the UK, we're much further down a dark path than America. It's why I come here, uh, because I'm grateful of the opportunity to still be allowed to speak in my country, because I don't uh, keep my head down and conform. It means I am often, you know, I have been arrested for a column in a newspaper. I had the police at my door the other day mm. because I spoke out about uh, majority Pakistani grooming gangs or rape squads. I, I am speaking out about the truth that I find and that people confide in me. But of course, in the UK, facts are now regarded as hate speech, which means the truth is a policeable offence. And, and really, that's where I come from. So yes, I'm widely seen as being a hated and hateful individual because I'm speaking out about the truths of my nation. And if I give one concrete example, I'm trying to make people aware that by 2035, you know, Muslims, births to Muslims outnumber births to all other in my country. And I and my fellow um, British patriots are going to become and are becoming very rapidly a minority. Now, that may be neither here nor there, but of course, by highlighting those pure maths, um, then you can be labelled an Islamophobe and Islamophobia is hate speech in the UK. So, so that's kind of the background. America can feel this coming, but we are farther down that dark path of not being able to speak anymore. And, and one of my other key messages to Americans is, you have your first amendment because of your second. Amen. And that's always a really big message that I try and get across. Right. And so to clarify, you're, you're being chastised, you're being dragged through the mud, not because you're saying something that's against all of Islam, but no. because you're just pointing out certain facts that are recurring with themes related to Islam in 
in the UK throughout Europe? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have no problem with any religion and or none. I, I honestly don't mind how you want to live your life. You know, I, I guess I am, I guess, one of the most open people I know in that regard. However, I am now a minority in London, in Luton, in Bradford, in Leicester, in Birmingham. I could list the cities that, you know, are unrecognizable to Americans, but I'm a minority in my own country in those cities. And the prevalence of a certain type of individual, Pakistani Muslim uh, men who are uh, using white girls as they're targeting them um, because they see them and they are taught that those white girls are trash because they're not covered in a burqa. Um, Mm. When I highlight these specific cultural issues that we have, that is regarded as hate speech and therefore I am arrested or have been interviewed under caution or have lost, for example, all my jobs or my children are reported to social services because I've been labelled an unfit mother because I have conservative views. Um, I've had litigation against me and a couple of jihadis came to behead me. Those jihadis are now in prison. So, I mean, the um, the, the way that uh, speech becomes something you can be attacked for in the UK is obviously very real. And the government commissioned a play um, and people can find it if they were minded to Google it called The Assassination of Katie Hopkins. Uh, and billboards went up and down the country with the assassination of Katie Hopkins. So that, that's how you become a target if you speak out in my country. Wow. That's just, I mean, if you want to hear more about that, make sure you get your tickets and access to the Lincoln Dinner at qvgop.org. That's QV as in Queens Village, gop.org. Katie Hopkins, at Katie Hopkins on Twitter. Make sure you give her a follow. It was such a pleasure to have you here. We're going to put a pin in that because, I mean, we could do this all day. And I definitely want everybody to hear the rest of this story and more of what you have to share about your message of liberty at the Queen's Village Lincoln Day Dinner. It's online and free for everyone to access at qvgop.org. Katie Hopkins, thank you for joining This Is America. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. 